Welcome to Season 4, Episode 6 of Fire Away, Rudner Law's online show focused on the employment law issues that matter to you. My name is Stuart Rudner. I'm an employment lawyer and mediator, and along with Brittany Taylor, my partner at Rudner Law, we'll be looking at what employers and employees need to know about the current plans to reopen businesses in Ontario and across the country. So Brittany, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks so much for having me, Stuart. Fire Away streams live online every month, and if you missed an episode or want to watch one again, they are always available on our YouTube channel, Facebook page, LinkedIn, and on our website. If you are watching live and have a question, you can ask by posting a comment on Facebook or YouTube or tweeting to at Rudner Law. So as I mentioned, our topic today is reopening, and it has been a very long time since we started talking about COVID-19 and the pandemic back in March of 2020. And we are cautiously optimistic about the notion of reopening. And, and I say cautiously because some of, you, some of you may recall that we have previously prepared an extensive guide to getting back to business, which we mentioned on the show many times and distributed quite widely. And when I went to look at that in preparation for this show, I realized that we prepared that back in May of 2020, so well over a year ago. Uh, and if you have one, save it. It could become a collector's item one day. Uh, <laughs> but we're now looking at reopening once again. Some of the concepts will be the same, but much of the, much of the discussion is different now. We're talking about vaccinations and how many people have been vaccinated. We're talking we've gone through a second wave, a third wave talking about variants and a potential fourth wave. So all of those things come into the mix. And of course, every business is a little bit different. Some, you know, the essential businesses have been operating business as usual throughout. Some have been partially or entirely shut. Many people have been working remotely. Many people have relocated on the assumption that they can work remotely forever. Um, so what happens when everyone or when businesses can call, start to call people back? How is that gonna work? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, we've prepared a couple of different areas of discussion that we're going to be focusing on today. So some of the topics that we're going to be addressing are things like bringing workers back to the workplace, you know, rights to choose how you do that. Can employers insist on employees returning to the workplace, right? So we're going to be focusing on that. We're also going to be focusing on maintaining a safe workplace. So once you've got your workers back, how do you make sure that the workplace remains safe? And along with that, of course, we're going to be talking about vaccinations, which is a hot, hot topic right now. We're also going to be talking about accommodation. When are you going to need to accommodate employees? What can that look like? And finally, we're going to deal with the termination of the employment relationship. So what happens if employees cannot be recalled to work? So we've prepared some questions based on these kind of general topics. And the questions that we've prepared are based on the issues that we come across most frequently when working with our clients, as well as questions that we've received from you guys. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to answer these questions, but we're also going to try to provide tips for you as well. So you're not just getting an answer, we're giving you general tips as well. So we try to make the show as useful as possible. So I'm going to start by asking Stuart some questions, and then I think he's got some questions for me later on. <laughs> Indeed, I, I will definitely have some for you. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so our first topic that we're going to be talking about is bringing workers back or returning to the workplace. So my first question for you, Stuart, is for employees on layoff, what order do they have to be recalled in? 
Yes, that's a great question. And this is one thing that hasn't changed since we did that guide back in May of 2020. You know, one of we, we saw this great source of confusion that people who had never laid off employees, of course, had never recalled them. And when it came time to start thinking about that, they made all these assumptions. A lot of them were based upon what they've heard about unionized work environments, where it's sort of, you know, first laid off, first recalled or that kind of thing. Uh, and they assumed all these rules when really there are very few. Uh, the reality is an employer can determine who they are going to recall from either layoff or recall people who have been working from home and recall them back to the workplace. That's in the context of a non-unionized workplace. If it is a unionized workplace, you'll have a collective agreement. They will have very clear rules and processes for all of this. But in the non-unionized workplace, which is where we focus our, our efforts, the only restriction really is, is human rights. You know, So generally speaking, you can choose who to recall and when in whatever order you want. It doesn't have to be based upon seniority or how long they were on layoff or anything else. Human rights is the exception. You can't choose based upon any protected ground, such as color of their skin or disability is probably the most relevant. And disability has been defined to include COVID. So you can't say, and I know people are tempted to say this, that we're not gonna bring back people who had COVID or we're gonna make them the last people to bring back. Um, you can't do that. But other than that, you can choose who and when. And this is a bit of an opportunity to assess your, uh, your workforce and decide who you really need and who are the critical people to have as you go through a reopening process. Right, right. I, I think that is a common misconception that there's this process that has to be followed in terms of, of recalling workers um, outside of unionized contacts. So is there a recall mm -hmm. process that employers need to follow when they're not unionized? Generally, no. Um, you just need to give them notice of the expectation that, and, and we're talking about two different groups here, the people who are on layoff and the people who are working from home. Uh, so if they're on a layoff, you've got to give them notice that they're expected to return to work. If they're working from home, you've got to give them notice that they're expected to return to the workplace. Uh, but either way, there is no magic formula. There is no magic form. You just have to be clear about what the expectation is and what the timing is. And of course, if someone's on layoff, they are expected to keep themselves available for work. So if they chose to travel or to relocate or anything like that, they really did so at their own risk because they're going to be expected to return to the workplace pretty quickly. Um, so as, as Brittany mentioned, what we're trying to do is give you answers, but also tips, uh, especially because we haven't done it yet, but many of the answers will be it depends. Uh, so we'll try <laughs> at least give you some tips to, to guide you through the process. Uh, so in terms of tips, I, I mentioned this one already, but you know, if you're an employer, think about your workforce. You know, The last 15 or 16 months now have been a time to, especially if you are closed or not operating at full capacity, take stock of your operation, take stock of your work, workforce, think about who you need, think about the people that you've always wondered about whether you know they were really pulling their weight or not, now might be the time to say, you know what, we're not going to bring those people back. Uh, and, and then, and we're going to talk about this later on, but then of course you're going to have to treat them fairly. Um, but if you're an employee and you've been on layoff for you know well over a year at this point, assess, you know, push for a, a very clear recall date. And if you're not getting one, then you should think about whether you have a claim to make for a constructive dismissal. And I know we're going to talk about that more in more detail later, but don't just, you know, I think the time has passed to just sit at home and wait. Now's the time to be a bit more proactive. 
Right. And and un- I think that's an unfortunate reality for uh, a lot of employees is that they have been sitting at home uh, on layoff uh, with with basically no recourse available to them for, for, in some cases, over a year. So what about employees who have been working from home productively for the past year? What if they want to continue working from home? Is there any recourse available for employees in that circumstance? Yeah, so generally speaking, no. And this is another one of those, I think, misconceptions or assumptions that people are making. Uh, because as you said, a lot of people have, have been, you know, very publicly proclaiming that I'm, I've am i been working from home efficiently, effectively. There's no reason I should go back to the workplace. So I'm just going to continue to work remotely. Um, the reality is that employer has the right to decide where someone works. Uh, that's the general or the default. If your contract says otherwise, that will change things. And the employer can't make a change. So if you were allowed to work from home before the pandemic, that will continue. Basically, the obligation here is to return everything to pre-pandemic conditions. So if you're working in the workplace, you're going to be expected or you can be expected to return. If you have the right to work from home full time, that should continue. If you have the right to work from home two or three days a week, that should continue. Uh, but generally speaking, the employer has the right to essentially order that you return to the workplace even if you've been home and working efficiently during the pandemic. Uh, and that's where I think a lot of people are really, you know, have gotten themselves into trouble because we all know people who decided, hey, it's um, no point in paying the rent or the mortgage in Toronto. I might as well move three or 400 kilometers away. I can work remotely. I can work from anywhere. We've all seen those ads about, you know, working in the Grand Cayman and been tempted by things like that. Uh, but, you know, imagine the surprise when you've got your, place in the Grand Cayman or in Kitchener-Waterloo and all of a sudden you're told to be downtown Toronto on Monday uh, and that might happen. So uh, for some tips for employees, remember you can't just decide to relocate. The same way in in non-pandemic times, your employer could not just decide to relocate you, you can't just decide to relocate. Nothing has changed since pre-pandemic days. And if you're an employer, know your rights, but also don't be afraid to enforce your rights. I mean, a lot of employers have really been, you know, walking on eggshells and scared to insist that people return to the workplace. And, and we are still encouraging people. If you have people that can work from home efficiently, it's still the safest way to go. So if you can let your employees continue to work remotely, do so. But if for whatever reason it's best for them to return, don't be hesitant about enforcing your rights. Yeah, and I, I just want to pick up on that thread a little bit of, you know, what happens if an employee has actually moved away, like they've physically relocated? I mean, what what happens in situations like that? Yeah, um, and you know, where someone lives doesn't matter. You know, I've been working with an employer recently where they have someone who is contemplating moving across the country. And, you know, the messaging that we've helped them to craft is, look, we, we don't care where you live. If you want to buy a home across the country and rent an apartment near the workplace, or if you want to commute every weekend or every week, you know, that's up to you. But you're expected to be at the workplace on, from Monday to Friday, you know, for your regular hours. Uh, so the bottom line is you can't change the terms the same way the employer can't change them. You can't change them. And you may be expected to return to the workplace. You can always try to negotiate. And we've certainly helped a lot of our clients engage in those proactive discussions and, you know, on on both sides of the fence. So there may be negotiations there, but don't assume that you're going to be able to work remotely forever. 
Um, and from, from the employer's perspective, if you have someone who is not coming back to work or has told you they're not going to come back to the workplace, um, you need to document this very strategically. And we've worked with a number of clients to go through this process. Um, and there's a great case that just came out really recently, which is you know related. In that case, you had an employee who was on medical leave and they were asked to provide documentation to support the leave and for whatever reason refused to do so. And ultimately the employer just deemed them to have abandoned their job. And the individual sued for wrongful dismissal and, and won. And part of the judge's analysis was that although they had requested medical documentation and the employee had refused to provide it, they were never given clear warning that this refusal or, or this failure to provide documentation would lead to them being deemed to have abandoned their job. They weren't told of the consequences. So it's, uh, I mean, a lot of employers will say this is just you know ridiculous, but it is the nature and it's always been the nature of our employment laws that employees generally need to have clear warning of the consequences of their misconduct, whatever that misconduct might be. So in this context, if you have an employee who is not returning to work, or even if you just know they've moved far away and you're concerned they're not going to return to work, give them that recall warning and make it very clear that if they don't return, then they're going to be deemed to have abandoned their job. And then you can paper the situation properly. And then eventually you can get to that point where you can terminate the employment relationship. Speaking of uh, papering situations properly, one of the questions that we've been getting quite a lot from our clients is, can you ask an employee to sign a new contract of employment when you recall them to work? Yeah, we have been getting that a lot. And it's, it's interesting because I guess it, in, in a way it's, it makes me feel good because I think our message that you should always have your employees sign contracts is getting through to people. So that's right. kind of nice to hear. Uh, the problem is they're not necessarily doing it at the right time and in the right context. You can't just say you're being recalled to work, but before you come back, you have to sign this contract. That's not going to fly. Uh, so as we've talked about many times, in order to have a binding contract, there has to be consideration flowing both ways. In other words, I'm going to give you something, you're going to give me something, the quid pro quo, as we often say. Uh, and when we have employer clients who want to have existing employees and want to have them sign a new contract, we always explain you've got to give them some new benefit. So it could be a promotion, it could be a signing bonus, it could be an increase in salary. Or in this context, and I, and I will credit one of our clients for coming up with this idea, I thought it was very clever. Uh, what he said was, if I have an employee who wants to continue working from home, can I say that yes, we'll allow you to do so in exchange for your agreement to sign a new contract? You're giving them a benefit. So I think that's absolutely valid consideration. So simple answer to your question is you can't just require they sign a new contract, but if you can offer them something in exchange for doing so, which could be the ability to work from home, either full-time or even part-time, that could get you in a situation where you've now got a binding agreement in place that will be to your benefit. So employers, you know, getting back to our idea of giving you tips, use this opportunity. Think about how you might be able to get an employee that is going to be coming back from layoff or from working from home to sign a new contract. And for employees, and we always have this discussion as well, be very cautious about what you're being asked to sign because you know, I'll say 99 times out of 100, if your employer is asking you to sign a new contract, it's not for your benefit. So make sure you know what you're signing before you sign it. I think we're now going to segue over to, uh, to health and safety. So as Brittany said at the beginning, one of the areas we want to talk about is when you bring your employees back, what are your obligations and how do you make sure that you maintain a safe work environment? And as we've said many times on this show, 
the duty is to make all reasonable efforts to provide a safe workplace. So what does that look like in the current context? So start with um, a question that we do get a lot of, and we've seen it happen a lot over the last 16 or so months. What happens if an employee tests positive or has been exposed to the virus? Yeah, and, and this is a question that we are, we are continuing to get um, even all this time later. And this is another one that hasn't really changed uh, since we first started talking about this. So when an employee has symptoms or they test positive or they may have been exposed, they should be sent home immediately and instructed not to attend work until either the 14-day quarantine period is, is over and, of course, they don't have symptoms or they obtain a negative COVID-19 test and can present that to the employer as evidence that they are no longer at risk. Um, and important to keep in mind that employees who are at home due to COVID-19 exposure are entitled to take infectious disease emergency leave. So infectious disease emergency leave still around, still exists, still there to protect employees who cannot attend at work for whatever reason. The other thing that's changed uh, in, with, in respect to infectious disease emergency leave is that as of April 29th, employees in Ontario are entitled to up to three days of paid time off. Uh, and that can be in order to get a COVID test, if they're awaiting results of a test, if they're sick, or if they are getting the vaccine, right? So that is something new that is uh, recently available to employees that didn't exist when we were first talking about this last year. But in terms of the general procedure, Basically, it's the same as it's always been, which is you do have an obligation to protect everyone else in the workplace, including the employee who's been exposed. And the best way to do that is to send them home as quickly as possible. So in terms of tips for employers, I think, again, really important to remember that you do have a duty to ensure a safe workplace. If an employee tests positive and they've been in the workplace, you kind of need to think about, is there anyone else that that could have been exposed that this person interacted with while they were here in the workplace? They may also need to quarantine and get tested as well. I think one of the most helpful things that an employer can do for themselves is if they don't already have a clear workplace policy dealing with COVID-19. And the purpose of this is to make sure that everyone understands what their obligations are and knows what to do in the event of an exposure. So they know not to come to work if they're not feeling well, right? They know that they have to report immediately if they start developing symptoms. Um, having a clear policy, making sure everyone is familiar with their obligations is going to make this whole process run a lot smoother. Yeah, makes a lot of sense. So let, let's shift over to vaccinations because that is probably the biggest change since our last guide to getting back to work. And it's also uh, the area we get the most questions about. So the, the typical, typical question is this, if my entire staff is vaccinated, do I still have to follow COVID protocols? This is a great question and actually one that really surprised me the first time that I received it um, because frankly, nothing has changed, right? None of the directions that we are receiving from public health authorities is suggesting that having vaccinated employees, whether it's all of your employees or the majority of your employees, doesn't change what your obligations are, or what the recommendations are in terms of ensuring health and safety in the workplace. So for now, it's business as usual. Um, this could change, right, as vaccination numbers continue to go up. But for now, masks are still required, screening is still required, social distancing is still required. It really truly is business as usual. 
Now, we are already seeing some changes. So, for example, as of June 30th, the screening requirements for workers have changed. And most of these changes center around recognizing that people can have symptoms after they've recently been vaccinated. So the screening adjustments now allow for people to say, you know what, I am experiencing symptoms but I just got vaccinated and the symptoms have only started arising since I've been vaccinated, those people, it's safe for them to still enter the workplace, right? Same situation where uh, if somebody, a worker is living with somebody who is experiencing COVID-19 symptoms, but that employee is fully vaccinated, they're also able to enter the workplace. So we're seeing a lot of adjustments to screening requirements to recognize that the situation is evolving. Um, so I think that's a really positive sign that things are moving in the direction where we are making adjustments. We can be less strict in terms of controlling entry into the workplace, but that doesn't mean that the floodgates have opened and, and we can go back totally to normal if staff are vaccinated. Mm -hmm. So in terms of uh, tips for employers and for employees, I think it is really important to regularly check in with provincial and local guidelines to see if there's any changes. It allows you to kind of stay on top of what's going on um, and kind of get a heads up if things are going to start to change in the future. Yeah, I think that's a great tip, not only for the employment context, but just socially, because I don't know yeah. about you, but I find, you know, we're getting together with friends a bit more often lately, but nobody knows what to do. You know, can we go over and shake hands? Can we hug? Do we have to be distant? <laughs> do we have to be masked? Uh, and then you see people, you know, pictures of friends on social media where they've had guests over and, you know, they're right next to each other and you kind of cringe and wonder if that's okay. So yeah. we're all trying to figure it out. So that's a great tip. And I guess one thing I'll add, because I think we've said this in the past, which is the guidelines are really important and really helpful. They're not laws. Mm -hmm. um, so just bear in mind that you don't necessarily have to follow them to, to the letter. But if you don't follow them, you may have to explain why at some point. So do that with caution. Uh, so uh, the, the next big question, which we've talked about before, but things continue to evolve can you require that your employees be vaccinated? Yeah, this is like the number one question of the hour. Um, and, and this is where I get to say our favorite line, it depends. <laughs> now, when it comes to vaccinations, it, what we're really doing is we're balancing competing interests. So we've got interests of health and safety, we've got employee privacy, and we've also got um, human rights, the duty to accommodate. So we have to keep in mind still that the COVID-19 vaccine is not mandatory at this time. It's still an elective medical procedure. And employers are generally not entitled to detailed medical information regarding their employees. And they're certainly usually not entitled to dictate that an employee um, take a medical procedure or engage in a medical procedure. So while employers are entitled to things like information about restrictions and limitations, they've never been entitled to things like diagnoses or medical history or things like that. Um, so the idea that you can require somebody to get a vaccine and then disclose to you that they've received a vaccine is quite extraordinary. Now, I think the other thing that we need to keep in mind is that some employees may not be able to take the vaccine for legitimate reasons which are protected by human rights legislation. So, for example, some people may not be able to get the vaccine due to disability. They might have an allergy to some of the compounds in the vaccine, or it might be for religious reasons, right? These are going to be grounds that are protected by human rights legislation and where a duty to accommodate is going to be triggered. 
if an employer is going to require the vaccine, they're likely going to have to justify that encroachment on the employee's privacy rights uh, and potentially also on an employee's right to be free from discrimination in the workplace. So the question that I always like to ask is, is there no less intrusive method which can ensure health and safety in the workplace? And I think most employers would be served by asking that question. Now, this is going to be challenging when you actually do ask that question and you want and you answer it honestly, because it's been a year, more than a year now, where we've been managing health and safety risks for the past year without vaccines, right? So think about what have I been doing to date to ensure health and safety? Is that still an option to continue doing that? And will that achieve the goal of health and safety even without vaccines being a requirement? So really long way of saying it depends. It really is going to depend on your individual circumstances as an employer. And there absolutely will be businesses and employers that can require vaccines. Um, you know, where the safety need is great enough that it basically outweighs any of the other um, interests that we were just talking about, then it's it's probably going to be permissible. That's probably going to be something that courts or arbitrators are going to be sympathetic to. But as a default, I would say most businesses are probably not going to meet that threshold, or a lot of businesses are probably not going to meet that threshold and shouldn't assume that they have the right to require vaccination just because they want to. So in terms of tips when it comes to vaccines, what we have been recommending to our clients is that you encourage your employees to get vaccinated, not require it, but encourage it. And there's lots of ways that you can encourage vaccination from the very simple just making it a, a kind of a culture of the workplace that this is something that you're encouraging, that you're supporting, to more substantive efforts like offering bonuses or gift cards to celebrate people who are willing to get vaccinated and willing to share that information with you. Um, or, you know, just making it easy for employees to take time off when they need to, to go back, get vaccinated and not kind of throwing up roadblocks for people who would like to get vaccinated. Yeah, I think that's really important. And we've worked with a lot of clients to do that. And a lot of them have adopted that approach of we're not mandating, we're encouraging which I think is really helpful. And I think you made a really key point, which is that, you know, there is no one size fits all. And it's going to be a lot easier to justify mandatory vaccination in a healthcare facility than in, to take the extreme than in a workplace where everybody's working from home anyways. Um, so you've got, you know, there is no one size fits all. And anybody who says that, you know, there's an absolute right to mandate is wrong. And anybody who says there's no right to mandate is wrong. It's going to depend. Mm -hmm. uh, so I'll, I'll shift. You mentioned privacy issues, and I am, as usual, I think we bit off a bit more than we could chew. So uh, <laughs> we're not going to get through all the questions that we talked about. So we, maybe we can try to combine a few and skip a few. But you mentioned privacy rights, which is the other aspect of this whole vaccination. You know, A, can you require vaccination? B, can you ask about it? And I'll throw C in and sort of combine a few things. Can you tell others, i.e. customers about it? So mm -hmm. I'm going to kind of lump all those to together at once. And I'll tell the story that, Brittany, you've heard before, uh, which is a couple of weeks ago, I had to call for you know, in-home service. And I was talking to the woman who was going to assign someone to come to, uh, to our house. And at the end of the call, she very happily assured me that I, I should not worry because the guy that they were going to send to our house will have been fully vaccinated. And I got off the phone. I thought that was great. That was really good customer service. It made me feel more comfortable. And then being an employment lawyer, I thought, wait a minute, does, that, does this guy know that they are sharing his personal information with all of their customers? 
Uh, and I'm sure they never even turn their minds to it. Um, but if you take a technical uh, interpretation, that is personal information. They're sharing it. Maybe he consented, but I'm, I'm not sure he would have. So maybe you can try to tackle all of that. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> In about a minute and a half. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, I mean, again, this is getting back to that issue of employee privacy. So can you ask if somebody's had the vaccine? I mean, you can certainly ask. I think the question is, can you require them to tell you? Um, and if an employee doesn't want to tell you whether or not they have been vaccinated, I mean, I think to me, the question is, well, what happens then if they if they don't want to tell you that they've been vaccinated? Don't you just lump them into the same group as people who are not vaccinated? Right. Isn't that the way to deal with something like that is to just assume or rather put them in the category of somebody that you don't know? And so you've got to treat them as if they're an unvaccinated uh, employee. Um, in terms of collecting and then disclosing that information, we have to keep in mind that there is privacy legislation across Canada. Some provinces have very specific privacy legislation, which has specific requirements in terms of disclosing why you are collecting the information and what you're going to use it for, right? So it's one thing to collect the information from the employee if they're willing to give that to you, but it's a whole other thing to then share that information with others. So if that's something that an employer wants to do, if a business wants to have that ability to say to their customers, all of our staff are vaccinated or this particular service person who's coming to visit you is vaccinated, that's something that we would recommend that you get that consent for in advance. So when you are collecting the information, you are being very clear what the information is going to be used for. And if one of the things it's going to be used for is sharing that information to try to make customers more comfortable, great. Make that really clear to the employee ahead of time so that you avoid those privacy issues down the line. Yeah, and I think that was a pretty good summary of a whole bunch of questions one together. <laughs> Um, but I, I think, you know, the bottom line, I think we're probably going to say this uh, again at some point is be mindful of all of these legal issues. And we, we teach this, we, we teach a course to teach our law for HR professionals. And one of the points that I've always made since I started that course 15 years ago was you can't look at any issue and just with just one lens. Right? It's not just an employment standards question or a human rights question or a safety question. It's all of those things. So you might be saying that for safety purposes, we're going to mandate vaccination and tell the whole world. Uh, but you've also got to be mindful of privacy laws and everything else, including contract. So uh, just be very cautious before making any of these decisions. And I guess that's probably a good segue to where I wanted to go next, uh, which is accommodation. Uh, because even if you were going to mandate vaccination, uh, there are always going to be the exceptions. So maybe you can talk a bit about uh, you know, when you need to accommodate. Yeah, great question. So, I mean, accommodation in the COVID context is usually going to arise in situations where somebody can't wear a mask or somebody can't get the vaccine. But it can also arise in situations like where um, employees have childcare obligations, right? So, anytime a protected ground is going to be activated, there is going to be a, a, a corresponding duty to accommodate. Um, now, in terms of not being able to wear masks, there are going to be situations where an individual is, is not going to be able to wear a mask either because of a disability, if they have a respiratory illness that makes 
breathing with a mask on difficult or even because of their age, right? We know that very young children can't wear masks, right? For, for example, hopefully you're not employing any two-year-olds, but, <laughs> <laughs> but that's something to keep in mind as well. Um, and now what this doesn't do, I think this is really important, is it doesn't protect people who just don't want to wear a mask, right? Or people who just don't want to get the vaccine. It's protecting individuals who have a legitimate basis that's grounded in a protected ground for saying we can't wear the mask or we can't get the vaccine. And in terms of what accommodation is going to look like, again, you're asking that question of, well, what alternatives are available for me, right? If I can't have my employees wear a mask, is there some other way that I can still ensure health and safety in the workplace while accommodating them? And that might mean that they continue working remotely, that they're not coming into the office. It might mean that they are segregated in the office so that they're not near anybody. And if they can maintain social distancing, perhaps they don't need to wear a mask, right? So, the, so there may be ways that you can still accommodate that person while allowing them to still participate actively in the workplace. Now, ultimately, if you get to the point where that's just not possible, there is no way to have that person in the workplace or allow them to work remotely, then you've still got infectious disease emergency leave, right? You've still got a leave of absence. You can accommodate somebody by allowing them to take some time away from the workplace until the requirements start changing. Until we start reaching that level of vaccination where maybe some of these protocols are loosened in the workplace. Um, and then same thing with when we're talking about like really quickly, just childcare obligations, you know, we, we know that some daycares are still closed. Um, you know, we're, we're hoping everybody's back to school in the fall, but who knows, right? And so the same kind of flexibility has to apply in, in this aspect. If you've got an employee who needs to be able to drop off their kids at a certain time or has to be home because their kids don't have daycare or other care options available for them, then there may be a duty to accommodate there. And that could include, again, allowing them to work remotely. It could include flexible hours, it can also include allowing somebody to take a leave, right? So there's a lot of forms of accommodation that are available to employers. And as always, I think in terms of tips, the two main things are need is not the same as a preference or rather a preference is not the same as the need is the way to say that. And also for employers, never make assumptions, right? If you've got an employee coming to you who's requesting accommodation, who says, I can't wear a mask or I can't get vaccinated or I need accommodation for my, for my kids, listen, take the information or get the information that you need and then assess whether or not accommodation is possible in the workplace. It doesn't mean that you're going to come up with an answer that everybody's going to be happy with. But if you're at least doing the exercise and you're documenting the exercise and you're, you're doing it in good faith, then you're at least going to have significantly protected yourself in the event of, the, of a claim in the future. Yeah, I think there's a lot of important points packed into that. But uh, I mean, you know, the key point, as you said, need versus preference and and also documentation. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. we've all heard people who say, you know, that they cannot wear a mask and many people have legitimate health reasons why they can't. Others just don't like wearing masks. And there's a big difference there. Uh, so you're entitled to require appropriate, appropriate documentation or supporting information to show that there is a need for whatever form of accommodation. And, uh, you know, the other important point, which you've alluded to, is the employee doesn't get to choose their form of accommodation. So they might say, I want to be accommodated by working from home. Um, but you might say that, no, we can accommodate you perfectly well by having you in the workplace, but physically segregated. 
Um, so the employee doesn't get to choose. And I don't want to go down into this rabbit hole, but I think we did talk about this the other day, this, this sort of perverse scenario where if someone wants to continue working from home and they know that their employer wants them to return, they might actually claim not to be vaccinated because they'll assume that at that point their employer will order them to stay at home, uh, which is a really ridiculous scenario. But, you know, this is kind of what keeps employment law going. Are the, the anomalies like that where someone's going to try to abuse the system? So something to, be, something to be mindful of. But again, you know, the important point here is as an employer, you have a duty to accommodate to the point of undue hardship but you can choose the form of accommodation as long as it's reasonable. And as you said, one form of accommodation might be a leave of absence, which is unpaid. So it's not a great scenario for the employee, uh, but it might be the only viable one in, in those circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Um, sir, did you want to talk quickly about constructive dismissals before we, we end? That's the other hot topic, or should we, uh, should we leave this for another day? Uh, it's always fun to talk about dismissal. So why don't we, why don't we cover that briefly? Uh, because okay. whatever we say now might change before next time anyways. Very good point. Very good point. So I, I think the, the question is, you know, a lot of businesses had to lay off staff. It, it's it, it's a, a huge number of businesses that, that had to take this action or that did take this action as a result of the pandemic. And the question that we've been dealing with um, since the start of the pandemic is, does that layoff, do all these layoffs constitute constructive dismissal? Yeah, so this will probably be our best example of it depends, um, because we simply don't know how the courts are going to treat, treat this at this point. So flashback to March, April, May of 2020, and I will, I will pat ourselves on the back because our firm has consistently raised this concern that all those businesses who are laying people off in many cases probably didn't have the right to do so and were completely and oblivious to the risk that they were entering into. So we were very public about that back in the spring of 2020. And, and frankly, I think we got a, a lot of pushback from employers who were upset that we were mentioning this, but we just wanted to make sure that they understood what the risks were. And then it was sort of debated for quite a while, then it was quiet for a long time. And now, of course, some of those cases have made their way through the legal system. Uh, and we've now got three decisions in Ontario assessing whether layoffs as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic constitute constructive dismissal. And so far, it's two to one in favor of employees, in other words, in favor of constructive dismissal. Uh, but we've got, you know, in, in particularly the first two cases, the first case was decided in favor of there being a constructive dismissal. The second case referenced the first one and the judge explicitly said, the judge in the first case was wrong. This is not constructive dismissal. And then we had a third case which said, yes, it is constructive dismissal. So we just don't know. And as, as we said from the very beginning, as the law stood at the time and as it stands now, technically it is a constructive dismissal. It has always been the law that if you lay somebody off temporarily, unless you have the right to, it's a constructive dismissal. But it wouldn't surprise any of us if a judge at some point said these circumstances were so completely unprecedented and unpredictable that there's got to be some shift in the law. So the bottom line here is in Ontario, we've got three decisions which give us absolutely no clarity. It's going to have to go to the Court of Appeal, which will take a while to happen. 
Um, and even at that point, there may be differences between the provinces because we have infectious disease emergency leave in Ontario, which was one of the factors in those court decisions. So you may have different provinces reaching different conclusions, which might mean that at some point it gets to the Supreme Court of Canada, which of course will take even more time to get there. So the, the bottom line here is we don't have any certainty as to how the courts are going to treat this. And we are working, as, as people know, we work with employers and employees. So we are telling all of our clients, if you're in the middle of one of these disputes, we always say litigation is like rolling the dice. This is, this, we can't say it any better than that. It is 50-50 at this point. So if you're in the middle of litigation or contemplating litigation, you need to take that into account, that you might win or you might lose. And you know, when that first court decision came out, we got to tell all of our employee clients, great news, we've now got a decision which confirms your, your cause of action. And we told all of, our, all of our employer clients, it looks like you know if this continues, you're going to lose. Now, of course, we've flip-flopped back and forth. So nobody really knows. And the bottom line is it, it probably is a constructive dismissal based upon the pre-existing law, but we don't know where the law is going to go from here. So um, it's anybody's guess. And, and I guess other than the tip I just mentioned, which is that if you're contemplating or involved in litigation, we really don't know which way it's going to go. The more proactive tip, which we have been saying for quite a while, if you're an employer, the best way to avoid this entire risk is to have a contract which has a layoff clause in it, which gives you the right to impose these layoffs. And all of our clients who had those clauses were thrilled to realize that they didn't have the risk. The second best way to avoid the risk is to get the employee's consent at the time of layoff, which a lot of our clients were able to do. But if you don't have that consent, then at this point, it's really uh, it's it's really unknown as to how the courts are going to treat this. And if, if employees will be entitled to severance at the end of the day, or if a court is going to say that even though they may have been on layoff for a year and a half, they have no recourse. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see um, what the outcome is uh, of, of this line of cases. And I think it's also interesting because there's going to be so many fact-specific cases as well, where we have like a really interesting fact pattern that's going to totally change the trajectory of, of where this is going. Hmm. Um, so definitely going to be really, really interesting to, to see where that goes. Yeah, well, I think that's a really important point, to, not to, to belabor the point anymore, but you know, not, not all cases are equal. So it's very different if you have an employer who was completely shut down by government order, as opposed to an employer who may have lost you know, 15% of their revenue. These are very different circumstances, and I think courts are going to take that into account. Yeah, absolutely. Should we move on to our final word? I, I think we better. I know we've run a little bit long, but hopefully this has been helpful for people. But yeah, we probably should move on. Okay, great. All right. So I think just in terms of summarizing some of the key things that we've talked about today, I think number one that's that's come out of this discussion is that don't make assumptions, right? And and we're talking about a broad range of, of things when we're talking about that. You know, don't make assumptions that you can lay people off. <laughs> that's that's one of the pieces of advice that we've been giving since the very beginning. But equally, don't make assumptions that you can't recall employees or that your hands are tied if they've moved somewhere far away in the midst of the pandemic. Also, don't make assumptions about your right to share personal information about employees if they do indicate to you that they have been vaccinated. And don't make assumptions about your ability to mandate vaccines. So there's a lot to not make assumptions about. To be safe, just don't make assumptions about anything. <laughs> It'll be great. It'll work that well seems for to be everybody. a common theme in this show, but I think it's a really important one. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think the other um, kind of theme that's come out of our discussion today is that 
when we're talking about what your rights are as an employer and what your rights are as an employee, we're often talking about balancing these rights, right? We're talking about balancing the duty to accommodate with an employee's privacy rights with the obligation to make sure that the the workplace is, is safe and and that it's a healthy and productive environment for all staff, right? So we're often talking about balancing these rights. We're not just talking about one issue. We're talking about a bunch of different issues, which Stuart mentioned earlier. And then, of course, we were just mentioning with respect to the constructive dismissal cases, context is critical. It's rarely going to be a one-size-fits-all approach. Um, it, specific facts, nuance, they are important in terms of assessing whether you have the right to require vaccination and assessing whether or not a layoff is something that was justified in the circumstances or not, right? So I think those are the, the really important themes that hopefully have come across today. Yeah, and I was just going to add, we keep saying that, you know, every time we say this, that we hope this will be the last show focused on COVID-19, but we're, we're not there yet. And we will continue to provide the advice that employers and employer employees need as, as we go through these, and I'll say it, these unprecedented times uh, and, and it, things keep changing. So we'll continue to provide this information. Hopefully we won't have to have too many more COVID shows, but in the meantime, that is all the time we have for season four, episode six of Fire Away. So I do want to thank everyone for tuning in and, and hopefully for staying long, uh, because hopefully we provided a fair amount of useful information, even though we went a bit longer than usual. And, and of course, thank you very much to, to Brittany for joining me today and providing the majority of that useful information. I'll remind everyone that at Rudner Law, we want to treat Oh, sorry, want everyone to treat their employment relationships as legal relationships and make informed decisions rather than assumptions, as Brittany was just saying. We invite you to keep up to date on employment law issues by following our social media, subscribing to our newsletter. And although we are making progress on the COVID front, keep up to date on workplace issues relating to the pandemic and particularly post lockdown issues by checking out our COVID-19 Resource Center, which we are continuing to update regularly. But as we always say, none of that actually replaces legal advice tailored to your specific circumstances. If you think that you need an employment lawyer, you probably do. So feel free to reach out to us. Great. And now I get to have or do one more fun thing, which is to talk about our next episode, which will air on August 17th. And it's going to be a little bit different and should be a whole lot of fun. Uh, so we encourage everyone to break out the popcorn when you uh, when you either join us or watch us after it's recorded, because the team at Rudner Law is going to be scouring the archives for TV and movie scenes that demonstrate poor HR practices. There is no shortage of them. I personally am going to be focusing on The Simpsons, uh, but there are a whole lot of shows that provide ample evidence. So first of all, please tune in or watch on replay if you can't watch it live. But also, if you have suggestions or ideas for scenes that demonstrate poor HR practices, please send them our way. Uh, you can post them on our social media channels. You can email them to us at info at But one or the other, we'd, we'd love to hear them. And, and I suspect that might be another show that goes uh, a little bit more than half an hour because there will be no shortage of material. <laughs>